0: On today's episode of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, will COVID-19 cancel Major League Soccer? It's an MLS-centric counterattack with Jake Watroba. And is every team but LAFC a dark horse to win MLS's back tournament? I'm Steven Joderin, and this is Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. Listeners, if you haven't done so, hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star review and follow us at Uncle Sam Soccer Pod on Twitter. We love your comments, your feedback, your questions. So continue to send them in. Now, let's get to today's episode. USA, 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 USA. Thanks for listening to Uncle Sam Soccer Podcast keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer and don't forget to subscribe All righty listeners welcome to Uncle Sam's soccer podcast you got the whole gang here Jake Justin, myself at Unc Sam Soccer Pod. Jake, I didn't think we'd be talking about COVID again, but that's what we're going to do. Water's I, I, wet.
1: <laughs> Water's wet, baby.
0: Uh, isn't it? Uh, it's so crazy. I mean, we literally on our verge of return of sports here in this country. I mean, yes, you got MLS playing. Yes, you got the NWSL, who have wrapped up uh, their tournament. But you got the NBA around the corner. You got MLB going on. You got football training camp around the corner. Hockey's coming back, and uh, COVID is also coming back.
1: I want to tell our listeners: if you want to do something that will make you feel—I don't even know what the, if "weird" is the right word—go back in, like, your Twitter timeline, or even our Twitter timeline, if you want to. Go back like eight months and just look at some of like the just the things we were tweeting about. It just feels like a different world.
0: Ah, uh, Justin. I mean. I don't know. It, it it feels weird, right? Like every day is a new day and every day there's different news breaking and it feels like we're on a different trajectory every other day.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think every day kind of just starts to feel – well, I think everybody feels every day is kind of repetitive at this point, but I guess with the return of sports and the COVID cases kind of popping up in each team's little bubble, it's something new to look at. It's not great news, but I mean – It's kind of what happens when you don't follow protocol, I guess.
0: So, yeah, I suppose. And listeners at Unxam Soccer Pie, we're going to begin, uh, Jake, with your beloved baseball because Major League Baseball is having an absolute meltdown and crisis at the moment.
1: Yeah, MLB might be ruining sports for us this fall with the way they are handling COVID-19. If you haven't heard, uh, 17... Staff members, that's 15 players and two coaches, as of Tuesday morning, had tested positive for COVID 19 on the Miami Marlins following their series against the Philadelphia Phillies. Stephen and Justin, wild 15 players, two coaches. <laughs> there, that is half of their active roster that's... right now. They are Major League Baseball is carrying 30 players on their active roster, roster which is four more than they normally would and that's half of their half of their roster is down for the count with COVID-19.
0: Jake, you going to go uh, play some baseball for the Florida Marlins if they call you up?
1: I, uh, Derek Jeter, if you're listening, I'm ready. I got my <laughs> glove. I'm ready.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, here's the timeline, Justin. July 6th, 4th of July, testing delayed for many teams. Thursday, Juan Soto gets positive diagnosis hours before opening night. Friday, the Braves lose Both catchers on opening day. Friday, Matt Davison plays for Reds between test and positive results. Sunday, the Marlins play despite four positive cases. That's good news. That's exactly what you should do. Uh, Mm -hmm. Monday, Marlins hit outbreak level with 13 positive tests. Jake, Justin, I I didn't think it could get worse. Monday, the Phillies quarantine after the Marlins series. Nationals on Tuesday vote not to go to Miami. Uh, and then uh, we get this news that the Marlins paused their season for more positive tests. Uh, and, uh, and this was uh, put together by Mike Oz from Yahoo Sports. This is worrying on every level. And, listeners, we're recording this Tuesday night uh, during the Minnesota Columbus Crew game. So by the time that this episode's out, I guarantee you there'll be more news. But, Justin, you're not the biggest baseball guy but just reacting to the news on, on what's happening with the Florida Marlins, this has to be concern for every sports fan, athlete, front office executive, league commissioner, reporter, you name it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's kind of nuts that that many players, and I mean, players and coaches tested positive for one team. Um, and especially because, I mean, even if you look at what MLS is doing in their bubble, you know, the players are tested before games and they have test results saying whether or not they're positive or negative. So if something does come back positive, um, they're not going out and playing the game that night uh, just so that they don't spread the disease. And I think it's, it's odd that MLB kind of let that many players slip through the cl- uh, cracks with positive tests to then play a game against the Phillies and now it kind of just disrupted the entire schedule they had in mind.
1: Well, I will say baseball has a kind of a wonky protocol here when they do. It's not like MLS where you do a test and then your test gets walked probably down the hallway to some doctor or somebody in the lab that does the test for you and you get results in a couple hours. I believe every test, once it's taken by a uh, major league baseball, by, by any of these clubs, I believe the test is like FedEx to Salt Lake city to some laboratory And they do the test there. And obviously, they got to fly those or ship those tests to Utah. There's going to be a day or two lag time. I think the Phillies, because of the close contact with the Miami uh, Marlins, are having their tests done while they're in quarantine here this week. I think those tests are being done at Rutgers, if I'm not mistaken. I read that. So the the, the protocol Major League Baseball that has in place is, is not great. And another league whose protocol doesn't really seem to be working all that well is USL league one, as they are struggling with an outbreak of their own at sock takes on Twitter says there were three to four positive tests on Greenville's roster after the Richmond Greenville match. Three of those players took part in the match. Richmond, That's uh,
0: that's good. That's, that's exactly what (laughs) it's exactly what you should do. Is play it's the a great pro- players? It's a great protocol. Yes, that have COVID. That's that's good. Now,
1: what I think almost what makes this even worse is that baseball is almost like a socially distanced game. You know what I mean?
2: <laughs> yeah. Right. So you're soccer, you're running into other. people.
1: Right. Baseball, exactly. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Richmond, they were set to play at, uh, Tormenta FC three days after the Greenville. Match and our uh friend Jason Weintraub at Home Sweet Soccer said, uh, saying multiple positive tests have popped up for multiple teams, but no names have been released. This is a bleep show for
2: USL, Justin. Yep, yep, yeah. Yep. And I mean, I was just looking on Twitter now, and Jeff Reuter from The Athletic um said, uh, USL testing results from the week of July 13th to July 20th came back and four players across four championship clubs uh, two from league from league one sides have tested positive. So not only is it now league one, but it's also the championship. So you've got both USL leagues kind of popping up with positive COVID tests um, after allowing this kind of, it's not necessarily traveling the entire country like they usually do for regular season, but like this confined regional group stage kind of thing. And even then they're still popping up with positive tests.
0: Right, and uh, quick correction. It's Miami Marlins, not the Florida Marlins, I said, Florida. Speaking of another league, the NFL were a week days away from training camp, my beloved New England Patriots, six key players opt out of the the season. I'm sure more names will drop. The question really is, is, what is MLS thinking? Like, question of the day? What should MLS do here? Should they move on with their 18-game regular season?
2: I think it's, it's, it's hard to justify that they should at this point, because even though it's minimal with USL, we've seen that both of the uh, both League One and the championship and now the MLB who are traveling have all had positive tests pop up. So I guess the concern would then be, if something like FC Dallas or Nashville happened again how do you remove an entire team from the regular season or, you know, like how do you take two weeks of an already condensed schedule to allow for quarantining? How do you reschedule a rescheduled schedule? Like, you know, (laughs) there's just a lot of, there's a lot of just crazy things that can happen if if somebody, if a few players and coaches test positive for this. Um, And even though they've been in the bubble for this long, I mean, even the Canadian teams are kind of stuck in Canada playing each other for the first for phase one of this kind of um, this remodeled schedule yeah, for the regular yeah.
0: season. And w- th- the, the funny thing is we we're going to talk about this modified regular season on an episode in the next you know couple of days. It's kind of hard to actually talk about the modification of this rescheduled season because I don't even know if it's going to be played. I mean, if you're a player right now down in Orlando and you see – that it's not just MLB, but it's USL. Multiple leagues in this country who are traveling, doing some sort of travel are are showing positive for COVID. How do you not sit there and go to the league going, like, you expect us to play?
1: Yeah, I I mean, Stephen, I I think what is happening in Major League Baseball is definitely a wake-up call for MLS. It's definitely a wake-up call for the NFL. I mean, we've seen – I mean, your Patriots saw – Six players, I mean, they, I think they're all key players, if I'm not mistaken, all drop out today of the NFL yep. season. So I don't I don't know how Major League Soccer is going to be able to resume their regular season in home markets, you know, three weeks from now, four weeks from now. I mean, maybe there's the argument of, look, maybe the cases of COVID are going down in the country and maybe the, there's a little less likelihood that players will uh, contract the virus and we won't have an outbreak like we saw with FC Dallas or Nashville, but if I am an MLS fan, and even as an NFL fan and major league baseball fan, I'm a little wary that the seasons are going to be completed.
0: Um, as intended. Jake, you, uh, Jake, you and I were, we texting each other uh, this afternoon and uh, the news from, from MLB came out and you and I instantly texted each other within seconds apart, uh, yeah, uh, it's likely the NFL won't play. Like, I, I we just don't see it. And I, I just don't understand how players are going to move forward with this. I mean, are they, are they just going to block it out saying, like, well, it's not going to happen to us? I mean,
1: maybe. I mean, like I said, the only <sighs> – look, I mean, I, I put it at a 60% chance that MLS finishes their season – and that, and that includes regular season, playoffs, MLS Cup, whole the whole nine yards there. I put it about 60% that they actually complete it. I guess I'm kind of banking on the fact that maybe the cases are going down by the end of August. And this isn't as rampant as it is right now where it's spiking uh, like it is out west and in the south. And kind of like how things were in June were in New Jersey, New York. And Justin, you can speak to this because you live in that area. Cases were on the way down in June, and it was a little bit more tamed down than it was in March and April. So I look at it from that perspective and think there's an outside chance, but there's also a part of me that thinks the NHL, the NBA, the WNBA is going to be the last competitive, going to be the last sports we see on North American soil, or at least U.S. soil, with the exception of the NHL, I guess, or in Canada. They might be the last sports we see until
2: January. Yeah, and I I think one of the things you can kind of give to MLS if they do go through with the regular season is that um, MLS and NWSL both were the first to kind of come up with this bubble idea. And so they had to kind of go through the rough patches and figure out what worked and what didn't. And so I guess if you're looking at this and trying to figure out whether traveling for uh, professional sports can work, you can look at MLB and the USL leagues and kind of say, Well, they hit some bumps, but, you know, have we figured out ways to counteract these? Kind of just like learning from other people's mistakes. But then the other thing is, too, if you're still traveling in the midst of a pandemic, what is going to convince players like Carlos Vela and Jonathan Dos Santos to say, okay, yeah, now I want to play, after saying they didn't want to go to Orlando to play because of the pandemic? You know, like, I don't see how players who... Opted out of this, you know, bubble tournament. MLS's back tournament to just say, okay, yeah, now I'll play. Especially when traveling's involved.
0: Yeah, and very late disclaimer here: we're not doctors. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We're not going to know. We we don't know what's going to happen in a week from now. So we're just spitballing here. But I think it's an interesting conversation to be had, and and in, and in, in it's one that I think every sports radio show, every sports journalist is asking. Athlete, coaches, front offices, league executives are all asking what's going to happen. And, and fellas, I want to end here. I wouldn't be surprised if MLS takes longer period of time to figure out what they want to do with this regular season. And I wouldn't be surprised if, if there are tweaks to it. Maybe they do another tournament like this or some sort of tournament format. Maybe it's more Champions League-like where it's more you play every team twice in the group or something. And and remember Nashville and FC Dallas haven't played. They have to make up those three games that they missed uh, due to the group stage.
1: Yeah, Steve, that's an, that's an interesting thought, almost like a regionalized bubble, if you will, where you have a, a few, te- four or six teams or however many in a bubble and you just play those teams in one hub city. And then whoever has the top, you know, finishes with the top two or top three, they advance to the playoffs. So then you have your, one off playoff games. I mean that's that's the way they could do it. I, although I mean we're about, like I said, three to four weeks away from when we expect the regular season to start. And I'm not sure if they can pull those strings together to to make a you know, four, five, six
2: different hub cities work in such a short period of time. Uh I think it's just gonna be tough. I, I don't I don't think if they do go against the regular season or if they ended up canceling it, they'll go with another tournament, I think. MLS is back, will be the extent of what we see if the regular season is canceled. Because at that point, I just, I feel like it's just safer and and better just to call it quits for 2020. Let everybody just stay home and and stay away from the virus and any potential opportunity to catch it and just prep for 2021.
0: Let's talk about some soccer. I think that's what we're really dying to talk about. Let's talk about the round 16 and give you our recap so far with the counterattack. Fast paced, shifty movement, brilliant skill. Yay! It's the counterattack with Jake Petrova.
1: All righty, boys. It's the counterattack time here on Uncle Sam Soccer Podcast with yours truly. It's Justin's first counterattack.
0: I'm excited. So-
1: Justin, you will always remember your first. I just want you to know that. (laughs) So let's dive right in. Let's talk a little Orlando City-Montreal Impact. Orlando's run continues after beating Thierry Henry and the Montreal Impact thanks to a Tesho Akindeli goal. In the 60th minute, Orlando City under Oscar Perea are 2-1-2 in the season. A third win if you count the round of 16 victory over the impact and have made it to the quarterfinals of the MLS Is Back tournament. They now have a date with the buzzsaw known as LAFC in the quarterfinals. Now, guys, let's start with Justin. Justin. Has Oscar Pereja fixed Orlando City?
2: Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think Whoa. in five games, he's he's given them an identity that three coaches before him couldn't give them in five years. I mean, Nani's playing out of his skin. Um, Chris Mueller scoring goals. Jackson, M- 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 oh, Jackson Mendez and Oriel Russell are both, you know, a pretty dynamic midfield duo. And I think even a left back in Juan Moutinho who, like, We've seen since he's been drafted, has always kind of been weak in terms of his defensive quality and even not great going forward. But he seems like he's really improved under Pereira. The whole team is just finally gelling together.
0: For, For the most part, correct me if I'm wrong here, it's the same squad that they had last season. Oscar Pereira has come in with intensity. But it's not a newsflash to anybody because he did the same thing with FC Dallas for all those years. I don't know if it was expected for them to do well, but I think there was a, an expectation for them to be a better club than they were last year. Now, guys, quickly
1: here. I saw an Orlando newspaper throw this out there. Was their win over the impact the biggest win in franchise history, Stephen?
0: Uh, I don't know. I mean, yes you, or no? Yes no, or no,
1: no, no. Sorry. No. Justin? No, it's not. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. It's hard for me to put any value on this tournament to say whether or not a victory,
2: like what what, what a victory in this win, tournament when Win means. some silverware. Not even win some silverware. If this was an actual playoff win, then yeah, it yeah, a <laughs> okay, huge <fair> win.
0: <laughs> yeah, fair make enough. How about All getting right, into the playoffs on. for Orlando? Exactly.
2: Yeah. yeah,
1: exactly, exactly. All right, let's move on here. Let's talk a little Philly and New England. Despite creating chances, the Rebs fell short to the Union. Sergio Santos finished in a tight window in the 63rd minute. Now, Justin, this question is for you. What does this type of hard-fought win mean for the Union and MLS? And Steven, what are your biggest takeaways from the Revs? Let's start with you, Steven. What are your biggest takeaways on the Revs' performance?
0: I'm taking this question as the tournament, the takeaway from the tournament, not necessarily from the game. And I think with Bruce Serena, He's still trying to figure things out. This is clearly seen by the fact that he's tried three different right-wingers starters in the Revolution's opening five matches. But defensively, they're they're looking good. They conceded two goals in four games, but they can't score. They, they, they're they just, I don't know, they're missing Charles Gill in the middle. Obviously, Gustavo bow who I've, I have a great admiration for, has played well. But he's missing he's missing somebody around him so I think it's 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 a work in progress it's a step in the right direction um, and I'll, I'll leave you with this uh, talk about scoring problems. they ended the tournament scoreless in their final 219 minutes.
1: Big yikes where was Gustavo Bo for your men Steven? now Justin I want to get your take. What does this uh, win mean for the union and MLS?
2: I think it means that the union are capable of scraping out uh, wins, even against teams that are really pushing them and kind of edging them in in the offensive front. Um, I mean, they've got players like Mark McKenzie and Brendan Aronson who are linked with moves to Europe. And it's no surprise because... The two homegrowns have really excelled at this tournament and were excelling with Philadelphia towards the end of last season, too. Um, I, I just think it, it it should scare a few teams in, in the regular season when they go to Philly or when Philly comes to their own stadium that uh, they know they're going to have a hard time breaking them down and that they're going to face a team that's really going to scrap
0: with them. Is Mark McKenzie staying during, I guess, the next several months with his link to Celtic? I would imagine
2: he'd probably only leave in January. I'm not sure if, you know, if there's anything moving right now, but he probably wouldn't leave until he, January. He, I mean,
0: in some in some moments of that game versus the Revolution, he looked like a man playing among boys. Yeah, he's he's really
2: come a, a long way from what he was when he first started playing for the Union until now. Yeah, the Union have a couple of guys linked uh, to some clubs in Europe. I
1: mean, Brendan Aronson, too, might be a guy who could be on the – on his way out here in the next 12 months. But guys, let's keep things moving here. Let's talk about Justin's favorite team. Wink, wink. Uh, NYCFC had just two goals all season and started with four straight losses before beating Inter-Miami in the final group stage game. NYCFC then snuck into the round of 16 after rival New York Red Bulls lost 2-0 to FC Cincinnati. All that to say, NYCFC dominated Toronto FC Winning three one, how did Ronnie Dala's How did Ronnie DeLa figure out what he wanted from his team in such a short
2: turnaround from the group stage? Justin, I think it's really interesting because you know we were looking at their lineups in previous games, and it seemed like Ronnie DeLa hadn't figured out what his best eleven looked like yet, and then he rolled one set of players out against Miami got the win over Miami, looked good when they did it too, and then said okay, I'm going to stick with it going into the Toronto game. And it looked even better against Toronto than it did against Miami. Given the the setup with James Sands and Alex Ring uh, kind of playing as a double pivot, might have um, worked a little bit better in terms of what Toronto's weaknesses were. I mean, we saw James Sands just dominate Michael Bradley the entire game, but I think Dayla's figured out the formation and the personnel that he wants to rock with when it comes to, you know, important games and and for the rest of the season.
0: Justin, was this a case Toronto was just poor? Like, despite NYCFC winning this game and obviously having a very rocky first several matches, doesn't this say more about Toronto than it did NYCFC?
2: Well. I guess you could take it with a grain of salt because you have to remember, too, they weren't playing with an out-and-out striker. You know, Pozuelo was playing as, like, a false nine because Akinola was out with a hamstring injury and Altidore was on on the bench. He's been on the bench since the start of the tournament, and I thought thought it was odd that Patrick Mullins didn't at least get a start. I know he's like, a reputation for being a super sub, but you have two out-and-out strikers who who are healthy, so it just seemed kind of weird that neither of them really started ahead of Pozuelo, or at least... Ahead of the the young kid Nelson, and then Pat Pissuello back in midfield. Um, but no, I think it's just it just reinforced the idea that Toronto's defense, especially with Omar Gonzalez, is lacking. He was and, poor. And they need to find another center back. Yeah, he, he, was, he was he was very poor in this very game. poor. He was poor in the game. He was poor in the game before too. Uh,
1: my take on this guy is quickly here before we talk about SKC Whitecaps. I think we might be sleeping a little bit on NYCFC. I get they had a bad run of form there, four straight losses. But let's not forget. This is one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. So I think uh, while Toronto may have played poorly, I think we're ignoring the fact that NYCFC is a pretty talented uh, side themselves. So, but let's move on. Let's talk SKC Whitecaps. The storyline was Tim Malia. Malia has now won all five of the penalty kick shootouts in his professional career, establishing himself as one of the top PK stopping artists between the posts. Melia has also saved 10 of 24 penalty kicks he's faced in MLS regular season play. The Whitecaps were massive underdogs going into this match. Now, Steven, were SKC lucky to not get beaten by the underdog Whitecaps?
0: (laughs) Yes, SKC was lucky not to get beaten by Whitecaps. They held the ball for 62% of the match. They had 29 shots. But, I guess what's important, when it comes to shots on target, SKC had 7, Vancouver at 5. So, you can hold all the ball, you can take as many shots, but if you don't put them on target and put them away, it means nothing. Um, but, I, again, this is another team in which people thought they, they were going to kind of get out of the group, no problem, and you know they were very much the favorite versus vancouver they they grind this match out they they go through the penalties there's some sort of confidence building with this team right it's it's what we just talked about it's grinding out those matches that philadelphia union type feel where you can grind these matches out that has that has a powerful effect in tournament football because you carry that momentum on to the next game
2: yeah if this game ended 1-0 skc i'd say yeah they were lucky but or, I'm sorry, I'd say, no, they weren't lucky because they deserved it. But in a penalty shootout, anything's possible. And I 100% agree that SKC were very lucky not to get duped by Vancouver like uh, like Chicago were.
0: And, and think about what the, the narrative, how it changes on SKC. Now that they beat Vancouver, they're in the quarterfinals. A team that people thought, ah, you know, could make some noise in this tournament. You know, they're always a team in the West that you don't want to play it it's very fascinating now they run up against Philadelphia it can go either way in the quarterfinals for these two teams
1: yeah you guys and i think you could also argue with how much skc dominated play they may have been the unlucky team having that game go to penalties you you can argue that they probably should have won that game maybe handedly with the, just the amount of pressure they were able to apply to skc but we're going to keep things out west we're going to talk san jose rsl San Jose rolled past RSL 5-2 Monday night. Matias Almeida's men are quietly flying under the radar, scoring 11 goals in four games with their pressing style. Will they be able to continue their form in the Orlando
2: heat, Justin? Yeah, I mean, I think this game against RSL, they looked more lively than they did tired. And, you know, after a match like this, it, it wouldn't surprise me if maybe they were feeling, you know, their fuel was running low, but a massive win like this and just in the fashion that they did it, I I would be really concerned if I was, you know, Minnesota, even given their history, facing these guys in the quarterfinals.
0: I I don't uh, – this is about momentum. They clearly have momentum. Jay just kicked ass against RSL. I don't know if that, that carries over against Minnesota because San Jose lost to Minnesota 5-2 in March. And they're playing four days after. It's it's a quick turnaround for these clubs, but in that Orlando Heat playing every couple of days, that, that eventually catches up. Yeah, I mean depth will definitely be a question
2: here for the, the Quakes. That's that's for,
0: they're, Justin. They're, do you think they're they're
1: they have
2: the depth? Do San Jose have the depth? Yeah. I, I mean, I think they've shown it. Like they brought Wondolowski and Rios off the bench uh, last game, and those are two players that probably would walk into some MLS teams, if not most. Um, just based off their quality, um, I, I think they've got, you know, and it seems like all the players are, are bought into the system. They're committed to Almeida. I think Tommy Thompson would would kill a man if Almeida asked him to. So, you know, when you've got that type of backing from your from your entire team, you know, in a tournament style uh, game like this, uh, I really wouldn't be the one trying to go against them.
1: Tommy Thompson would kill a man if Almeida asked him to. That's a, that's a great, great line there from Justin. I'm not even sure to segue off of that, anyways. <laughs> but I'm gonna try my best. Good one, uh, <laughs> Defending supporter shield champs LAFC rolled past defending MLS <laughs> Cup champs Seattle Sounders 4-1 behind a Diego Rossi brace. Two part question here. We'll start with Justin. Are LAFC better than they were last year? And Steven, in an 18-game regular season, could they go undefeated? Let's start with Justin.
2: I think they're better in attack in terms of depth, but I've kind of told you guys before, I, I think defensively they're very lackluster. I don't like Vermeer as a goalkeeper. I don't like Cisniega as a goalkeeper. I think they're both, even for MLS standards, just very below par. Um, I think that Diego Palacios is still acclimatizing to the league and gets exposed a lot when he gets too far forward. Um, Eddie Segura and Tristan Blackman are really, they're only two competent defenders in my opinion. But when you've got the firepower they, that they do and the ability to just keep the ball on your opponent's half and scare the living out of, you know, the MLS cup holders the way they did yesterday against the Sounders, you, you almost think defensive issues aren't a problem because the other team isn't going to be able to get that far down the field to score.
0: We've already talked about it, that defensive issue with Walker without Walker Zimmerman. I mean, they're missing a Walker Zimmerman on that back line. So it's interesting. But Jake, 18 game on Bean, it wouldn't surprise me if they did it. It really wouldn't. It's 18 games. We're not asking for 34, 36 games. It's 18.
1: You don't think uh, Portland or the Houston Dynamo may have put something on tape for some teams to see on how how to
0: deal with LAFC? I mean, we thought the Dynamo did, right? But the Dynamo also surrendered that three nothing lead.
1: Uh, yeah, that's. I mean, that's the the offensive firepower of LAFC. Justin, gun to your head. Let's say we do have a regular an eighteen game regular season. Would LAFC go undefeated? Yes or no? no i agree no i'm on the no bandwagon as well all right last but not least we're gonna talk about the uh our last game here we are recording this during the portland fc cincinnati game so you will not get our reaction to that match i'm sure portland will win so i'm sure i just sprinkled a little jake pixie dust on there and (laughs) we will be waking up tomorrow with fc cincinnati moving on to the quarterfinals and Justin's bracket will be busted just like Steven and I's but we're going to talk Minnesota United Columbus crew the crew lose to Minnesota United on PK's 5-3 this question is for both of you we will start with Steven are Minnesota United now a dark horse to win MLS is back?
0: I don't, I guess I mean I feel like we've, we've said that with SKC, uh, NYCFC, Philadelphia, I mean is there a team that we haven't said is a dark horse Cincinnati
2: can't can't be wrong. <laughs> hey, hey, hey,
0: you can't be wrong if we don't say them all, right? Well, seriously, I mean, I feel like every team that we've mentioned. oh, well, they could potentially win it. Well, yeah, they they could. I mean, it's um,
1: MLS. It's it's a, it's a, a crapshoot, right?
0: Right. Well, but that's the thing. It's like I think the bigger takeaway of Minnesota United is like they're they're moving in the right direction, right? Your big concern was that they look lackluster and they look boring, they look bland in the group stage. Well they did what they had to against Columbus you're not going to really remember how how they looked against Columbus you're going to care that they moved on if they can sneak into the semifinals get past San Jose uh yeah it would be a good step to to show as you mentioned uh months ago that Minnesota is one of the better if not top 5 teams in this league
1: i did say they were top 3 in the okay West. top 3 I, mean, I was trying to, try to you. give you some grace i just there. also want to i also want to put a point put it out there too that if there is no regular season, and if Minnesota United win the tournament, they'd be the first team in MLS history to finish the season undefeated. So, I just kind of want that to be known. So, uh, Justin, let's go to you. What are your what's your take on this discussion here? Are they a dark horse to win the tournament?
2: I don't. I mean, considering their pedigree, yeah. But I feel like they're in the same boat as San Jose in terms of being a dark horse. Uh, dark horse, because you know they're both good teams who have kind of found some momentum in this tournament now. And, and you know, this win over the crew is huge, especially because Adrian Heath really kind of put on a, a tactical masterclass in a sense with Yang Greg who's just completely shutting down um, Columbus's midfield. And, you know, forcing this game to penalties,
0: you know, and when you
2: win a game like this against who was a tournament favorite outside of LAFC.
0: Justin, let me just pause you there. I mean, but Minnesota had the lead. You do have to be a little bit concerned, like they surrender a lead late. Like, that's not good. That's not what you want in tournament football. I mean, in some sense, they almost got lucky that they didn't lose in the PK shootout.
2: Yeah, no, 100%. But, and I don't, I, I'm not saying Minnesota's a dark horse to win the tournament, yes, but I'm not saying they will because they're on yeah, the side yeah, of the yeah. bracket where, where they have to face LAFC. And if there's a game where a really compact and team is going to get exposed it's going to be against lafc they just have two and that's if lafc make the semifinal of course because orlando could pull off some more magic and potentially cause an upset there but um i don't i don't see minnesota winning the tournament even with this win are they a dark horse yeah um because they're not i don't think they're a favorite at they're this not point. a favorite there you
0: have it that's that's a counterattack that's it we're done all righty boys uh according to 538, LAFC is the favorite. Uh, we don't know result of Portland FC Cincinnati. I don't know how much this is going to change the probabilities here, but can you guys guess who is second favorited by 538 right now to win MLS's back tournament? San Jose. Wrong. Jake?
1: Um, I feel like the obvious answer is Portland, but I don't think it's Portland. Uh, I'm Give me an to, answer! Come on! I'm <laughs> Philadelphia.
0: Ah, close. Uh, San Jose was fourth favorite. Philadelphia was third favorite. It's NYCFC, the team that snuck into the round of sixteen because the Red Bulls lost two nothing. Are now the second favorite team to win this tournament. My goodness, how things can turn around! Anyway, listeners at Unc Sam's Soccer Pod, send in your thoughts, your comments, your questions at. Justin Sosa, 99, at Jake Watova, at Stephen Jodder. Great show. Lots of MLS. Let us know what your thoughts are regarding COVID, the quarterfinals, Dark Horses. Might as well be every club there is. The favorite, LAFC, Cinderella, Orlando City. We want to hear it all at Unc Sam Soccer Pod. Until next time.